In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. Welcome to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's community conversation on the 2020 election. I'm Kevin Riley, the editor of the AJC. This is a historic election in Georgia. Turnout is expected to break records. The state appears to be in play for the presidential candidates. We will elect two senators and perhaps even decide the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. Your vote matters as much as it ever has. That's why we've devoted ourselves to providing the information our readers and online users need to make their choices. So tonight, be sure to submit your questions on social media. In fact, start submitting those questions now as we begin the show, because when we get to them later, we'll answer as many as we possibly can. So let's get started. We really have a great group of guests here. First, let's meet Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. He's the senior elections official in our state. Elected in 2018, he's also a former state representative. He led the state's effort to purchase new voting machines, and he's encouraged voters to cast their ballots early or vote by mail during the pandemic. Secretary Raffensperger, thanks for joining us. Now, let's meet some of the AJC's journalists. First, Ben Brash, our Fulton County reporter. Welcome, Ben. Thanks so much for having us. Glad to be here. Next, Maya Prabhu, who covers the state legislature. Good to have you, Maya. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to the discussion. And finally, Mark Nisi, our voting and elections reporter. Good to see you, Mark. Okay, we're going to start with Secretary Raffensperger. And uh, again, we really appreciate you being here tonight, Mr. Secretary. And uh, let's just start with a very simple question. How's voting going in Georgia so far? What's the latest that you have for us? Hey, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Secretary, but it appears your microphone is muted. I think our folks there can unmute you to make sure that uh, we can hear you. I hope that uh, Ryan, our video guy, can get you unmuted. Ryan? 
There we go. Uh, I'll, I'll try it again, Mr. Secretary. So how's, how's voting going so far? We're having record turnout. We're over 2.4 million voters already. And this is just the second week of early voting. So we know we're gonna be busting records. So got off to a little bit of a rough start. Uh, and so I wanted to ask you, uh, we know the final day of early voting will be a big day. How do you feel about that? Can we, can we expect more trouble or, or should we, we have confidence? How do you feel? We're ready for it. We've uh, looked at those issues, we resolved them and we're expecting 300, perhaps 400,000 people showing up the last day of early voting. It's gonna be another record day. 300 or 400,000 people. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Um, so what does that do to your estimate of how many Georgians will actually have voted early or by mail? I mean, a, a ballpark guess. Well, for several months, I was saying we'd have 1.5 million voters show up uh, that would vote absentee by mail. Two million people that show up during the early voting period. It looks like that's going to be two and a half to three and a half. We don't know exactly, but it's going to be a record breaker. And then two million showing up on Tuesday, November 3rd, all told. It's gonna put us over 5 million, well past our estimate, five and a half to six. So it's gonna be a record blowout turnout. So there's been so much conversation about the new voting equipment and we're gonna spend a little bit of time on that and, and I, you're gonna, uh, I think, show us how it works. But before we get into all of that, um, why do we have new voting equipment? Well, First reason is our old equipment was 18 years old and the General Assembly realized that we needed to update that voting equipment. And if we're gonna do that, everyone wanted a verifiable paper ballot so that they could verify their choices before they cast their ballot, which we didn't have that for 18 years. So now we have a verifiable paper ballot system. And for the first time ever, this election will be able to do statewide audit of the election. So talk about how the process worked of choosing this system and what ultimately led to this being the choice? Well, we wanted a system that was safe, secure, but also gave voters a verifiable paper ballot trail. The advantage of the ballot marking device is that the voter will have that touchscreen technology that they're used to using. They'll make all their selections. And when they press that final button, it'll be to print out the ballot, not to cast the ballot. And they'll have that ballot and they can look at that before they cast their ballot before they put it on the scanner. And that way they can verify their choices and that's very important. Now, uh, Mr. Secretary, um, we all know that there's been an enormous amount of, of questions about uh, whether people can trust the, the voting system around the country and in, in different states. And certainly it's come up in Georgia. Why, for the voters who are out there watching us and listening to us, why should they trust this system? Well, this system, first of all, is certified by the United States Election Assistance Commission. So we have a safe, robust system that has been certified. But also at the end of the day, when we report the news or you'd report the news on election night, and you said this is a 51-49 race or a 60-40, whatever that is, we'll be able to do a verifiable paper ballot audit. So in other words, we'll pull out those ballots, look at who you voted for for all those races and verify the results. So at the end of the day, I like to tell people, you may not like that your fellow or lady that you voted for did not win, but you have 100% confidence that we got it right because we can do with the audit. 
Okay, now one of the things that uh, we had planned uh, and you're set up to do is actually demonstrate the system. So I think this would be a, a good time to do that. Um, I'm not sure how you wanna start out, but I, I think for probably many people or a number of people who are um, watching, this might be uh, their favorite part and maybe the first time that some of them are gonna get to see this. Right, well, so if you've never voted before, you just you know, hit the age of voting or just moved to Georgia, you may not be familiar with their system, but if you voted before with their other system, you'll be familiar with what we would call you know, the, the vote card. You put that into the machine, And this is the demonstration ballot. And so we're making this fun tonight. And so, uh, because we understand where we are right now, but if you were at the county fair, what's your favorite choice? Vanilla, chocolate, cookies and cream, butter, pecan, peach, and right in. And this is Georgia. So we wouldn't want to select chocolate. I think we really would want to select, you know, peach or butter pecan, just saying. So then we go next. What is your favorite Georgia? grown food. This is really tough for everyone. Is it blueberries? We are the number one state for blueberries. Pecans, peaches, peanuts. Well, we're going to give blueberries a shout out today. No offense to all the other folks. What's your favorite fair food? Well, obviously, everyone that has a sweet tooth is going to love funnel cakes. And the next one, what is your favorite Georgia professional team? Look at all these choices. And I'm going to go with the Falcons. You might be the only one who would go with the Falcons, but okay. <laughs> There's always diehards, sir. <laughs> so, and now we press this button. We verified all that. You can look back if you want to verify, but I'm going to print it. It has doubled choices of print again. So I press it twice to make sure I really want to print it. And now on the HP printer, it is going to print out the ballot. And here's all the choices that I've made. And now we're ready to put that onto the scanner. And so we just then walk the few steps over to the scanner, which is right here. Place it on the top. It feeds in. And now it's actually reading the ballot. And it is scanning the ballot. And it says right here, as you can read, perhaps, ballot successfully scanned. And that's it. Now, it, it, it looks uh, sort of simple. The way that you're standing with the scanner and the, and the voting machine, is that how people will experience it in the polls or will they have to walk further to the scanner or, or, or does it depend on which poll they go to? Well, they'll have to walk farther because typically they'd be one to up to three scanners per uh, precinct. And then also these will be in some kind of a privacy uh, panel box or uh, different, different counties have done different things. So you have a privacy screen around you. Um, now, does the, the idea of waiting for these printouts and then going to a scanner, um, I mean, will we be able to handle that if you get massive turnout uh, on, yes. on uh, election day? Yes, that's why we gave, after the June 9th primary, we gave uh, the counties information about how many ballots can be scanned through the scanner in a 12-hour period. And then based on that, how many voters you have registered and what you expect your throughput to be, how many scanners you needed, how big your precincts needed to be. So it's all been determined. Uh, any concerns on your part? I mean, as you've worked with the counties, I, I, I think it's worth noting that while you may be the senior elections official uh, in the state, counties run their own elections. And, and so you don't, you don't necessarily, if I'm correct, 
you can't mandate things. You supply the equipment and other things. But uh, what's your confidence level? I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the counties that have struggled, but and, and particularly struggled in the primary. But uh, I guess I'm asking you on the record, do you have any doubts about the counties being able to handle it? Well, we're concerned about a big turnout and making sure that the larger counties can handle the throughput that we have. But when the counties asked for equipment, we made sure we got all the equipment out that they asked for. And in many cases, we sent them additional equipment. And I also know in the case of Fulton County, they went out and even though they asked for so much equipment, we sent it all to them, they went out and they did another purchase. And we also have some equipment in reserve that we can send that out and deploy that out there to any county that is seeing issues during Tuesday, November 3rd. Now, we heard a lot about these check-in devices during the, during the primary being a problem. Can you just talk about that part of the process for a moment? And, and I, I guess we heard about them early in this election more accurately. Um, can you talk about what happened there and, uh, and why you're, you know, what you've done to remedy it? Or should we be worried about that? Well, the poll pad is an iPad for check-in. And if you look at where the two trouble points, the choke points are, can be in the election location. It's at the, the you know, having people at the poll pad, checking them in and also at the scanners, making sure you have enough scanners and then making sure that you have enough check-in locations. So we've given the equipment to all of the counties. And then we had a bandwidth issue that we resolved uh, in about 36 hours once we saw the, identified the issue. And so, We've now had a very smooth election and obviously everyone's um, very excited about the uh, turnout model that we're having right now in Georgia. Um, now, what if we hear so much about hacking um, and uh, is this system is safe against hacking? I mean, what, what guarantees do we have it wouldn't happen here in Georgia? Well, this system is air-gapped. It's also the latest system and we understand that hackers never sleep. And so we are really always making sure that we have robust cyber defenses and bringing people to really on the back office to making sure that we have robust defenses, but also working with our county election officials to making sure that they can do what they need to do to secure their equipment. Well, I've got one last question that I'm gonna let Ben and Mark and Maya jump in. Um, I'm sorry, guys, I've got a little enthusiastic here. Um, Okay, this is, I guess, the money question. can you promise us we'll know the results of the presidential and U.S. Senate races uh, Tuesday night or by Wednesday? Well, it all depends how close any of these elections are, whether it's a state house, state senate, uh, county commissioner, water and sewer board, the president, U.S. Senate. We understand that people want their results quickly, but that's why your state election board, we push through a change, a modification that allows counties to begin the process of scanning those absentee ballots. In other words, that started today. So when the absentee ballots come in, it comes in an envelope, verify the signature, then you can separate the pieces of paper, lay it down flat. But then you can begin that process of scanning, but not tabulating. You don't tabulate until Tuesday uh, after all the polls have closed, but it it really helps the county speed that process up. So we can get those results out a, a lot quicker than what you've seen in some of these other states that have taken what, 10 days or even longer. We'll have that you know, as soon as possible, but that's why your state election board has done that. We understand how important it is to get that back out to everyone. Okay, well, Mark, you're there with the secretary. I'm gonna give you a chance to, to ask him a question and then uh, I'll, I'll get uh, Ben and Maya be ready with your questions. Uh, Mark, go ahead. Great, thank, thank you, Kevin. 
Um, speaking of getting election results back, you know, I know we will have early processing of ballots, but at least on my end, I'm preparing for it to take a few days. You know, I think, isn't it, do, do voters need to be prepared for this process not to be done even, I mean, maybe the next day, but it might be days after that. You know, we see that in close races where, you know, every vote has to be counted and results sometimes aren't final in close races until every vote is counted. And it seems to me that voters need to be prepared for that possibility. Right. It really, Mark, gets down to what is the the delta, the difference between uh, what we have in in-person voting versus the number of outstanding uh, absentee ballots that have been tabulated. So the more of those that we get tabulated on Tuesday evening, uh, November 3rd, then the better it is. And then we can actually maybe declare a winner for this race, but maybe not for those other races. And that's so true. And, but we want to jump on that. And that's why we've allowed them to begin that processing that you mentioned, because very critical that everyone, you know, we all get antsy. We want to know who won this race, who won the other race. And so uh, working diligently gently we'll be working 24 7 until we get that result for you and we also when you printed out that paper ballot i noticed you were happy with your choices um, but one thing that i know about this voting system is if you're not happy with your choices when you review your ballot are you tied to it or can you go back and start over well, that's, thank you for pointing that out because that's a great point. Is after you print out that ballot, if you all of a sudden say, oh, I didn't want to vote for this person for the water and sewer board, whatever that race is, then all you do is go back to the poll manager and they'll go ahead and they'll you know, tear up that ballot, nullify it, and then they'll give you another you know, um, card to start the process over again. So make sure that you uh, review that ballot, that paper ballot, before you put it on the scanner. And you know, it's such a big election, the biggest election in Georgia history. Um, we can already say that. We already know that's going to happen. You mentioned five and a half million voters out of maybe even more out of 7.6 million registered voters in Georgia. It's really incredible. And there are a lot of new moving parts and no election is easy to manage, no less a big election during the coronavirus with a new voting system. What keeps you up at night? What are you most concerned about heading into election day? Well, you mentioned the coronavirus. That can keep anyone up late at night. In fact, we already had some uh, precinct workers there in the back office, but the election officials in Fulton County that tested positive with COVID. And so they isolate that. But what would happen if you have your whole team of poll workers all planned out and all of a sudden they end up with COVID and then you end up being short a poll worker? So those are the type of things that you can't control it, but we are under those COVID restrictions. And so you have to really make sure that you have the right precautions in place and make sure you have enough poll workers. So those, I think COVID is probably the one area that we have no control over it. And so you, you uh, hope for the best and uh, plan for the worst. Very good, I'll toss it to some others to ask some questions. Um, so you, you touched on this already, but why, or, or can you reiterate to voters why you believe that um, the election is going to be honest and accurate? Well, several things. First of all, if you apply for an absentee ballot and you go to the Secretary of State's portal, we ask you three pieces of information, your driver's license number, your name, your date of birth, day, month, year. 
we don't know who that is. And, uh, you know, I know Mark, but I, I couldn't begin to guess those. And so we really can verify that that is the person asking for the absentee ballot. So there's security in that. We have the appropriate guardrails in place for the absentee ballot process with signature match. But then when you show up, we do photo ID, which is another way of securing that that truly is the voter that's showing up to vote. But now that we have a verifiable paper ballot, and then we can audit the written words on that ballot, we can give you that confidence that you may not like the result if your person doesn't win, but we can give you 100% confidence that it was actually accurately counted. And that gives all of us comfort that we can accept the results and move on to the next election, which we'll have soon enough. And something, you know, just as someone with it, with an elderly mother, something that's come up is, you know, some precincts aren't informing their, uh, you know, some maybe disabled or elderly folks who are waiting in line. We're hearing reports of people, um, you know, waiting in line for several hours before they realize that there's an opportunity for them to jump ahead. What what types of steps are being taken to make sure that um, precincts are sharing that information with people? Because I'm expecting on election day, lines will only be longer. Yep. Yeah, we want to encourage all the counties to get that information out that if you are disabled over the age of 70, 75 or older, that you can move to the front of the line. And so we think that's a great thing. And we want to make sure that that information's out there. So if that describes anyone listening to this, you know, please know that that's aware, that's something that's available for you. And please just go ahead and move to the front of the line. Ben, you have questions? Absolutely. Secretary, thank you for being here. Um, so in my talks with voters, my socially distanced conversations of voters, my masks on um, at, at the polls, um, even if they successfully vote, which you know most everyone is, if not, it's a I'm at the wrong place issue usually. Um, but with this system, um, even if they do successfully vote, they are so happy to have a piece of paper finally in their hand where it feels like a receipt. And then voters then have to give it away and scan it. Some are like, I wish I had to, to get a receipt in a way, and then to give it back um, irks some voters. Um, have you heard that issue? And, and how do you respond to folks if you have? Well, people don't understand that that's actually your uh, paper ballot, just like we've had paper ballots before the DRE, the old equipment, you have a paper ballot and you would then go ahead and, you know, put that ballot in there and it was done either with a Scantron or other methods. And so no voter has ever taken a receipt before. Uh, I think some people we thought that would be helpful, but the reason it goes back to it's really to, to stop anyone from what's called vote buying, to make sure that you have the, the security and the confidence that you have and the anonymity of your vote, that no one knows who you vote for. So you can, whoever you're talking to afterwards, you can tell them whatever you want, but you, you know that when you voted, no one knows how you voted. And, and if I'm not mistaken, it's a, it's a crime to take that ballot out of the polls. Is that right? That piece of paper? Well, the challenge is really is your vote won't count because it won't be scanned. And that's why the counties have been very strong. Uh, I voted in person, so did my wife already. And so uh, they wanted to make sure that they, you know where the next stage is and so you actually hand in your ballot. Here's the scanner. They don't take it from you. You put it on top of the platen here. So they want to make sure that you understand that once you leave, then it won't count. Okay, I'm going to jump in with a couple more questions since we have time for them. So I know that you, you, you know, you you said uh, plan uh, plan really well, hope for the best, you know, but 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 uh, be ready for uh, the worst. So let's talk about how that can happen, right? If you you end up with a polling place that has a big technical problem, yeah, lines get extremely long. 
on what it, what how are the decisions made about what to do in those situations? I mean, we've seen polls stay open late. We've seen plans for emergency paper ballots, but from where you sit, a precinct calls and says, "Oh my God, we have a disaster. We've got a long line." What happens then? Well, we don't have to wait for them to call us. We gave them a line management tool. And now we know exactly how long the lines are at all the precincts, which is very useful information for us, but also for the county election officials. We also, if there's any technical issues, they get logged in very quickly, and then we can assign tech workers. And that's why we've had great support. First of all, we uh, reached out to all these service organizations, rotaries, the fraternities, the sororities, other organizations, corporations, to recruit poll workers, over 40,000 new poll workers. But we also reached out to companies. Could you, you know, have someone that would volunteer to be a tech worker? So we'd have one tech worker in every one of the precincts. Many of the issues that you have are not big major issues. They're just minor issues like we had here today. We didn't have a sound system when we first started rolling this. And so with a good tech worker, we resolved it really quickly. And then the line can start moving again. And so having those tech workers at all the locations, that's really going to really address a lot of the issues that we had back in June. Um, and, but what about that decision uh, when, when decisions are made to keep the polls open late? Um, I mean, sometimes a, a, a judge gets involved, you know, all of that. Just mm-hmm. explain that uh, so people can understand, because that that sort of thing happens, uh, may, maybe won't happen in Georgia, but could happen elsewhere. What's really going on there? What, 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 how are those decisions come about? Right. If something happens, uh, the equipment is shut down for an hour or whatever that time frame is, is then you can go to the Superior Court judge at that county and then they can extend the uh, close from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. or 8.30, you know, whatever is appropriate to make sure that any voters that you don't want to vote, you know, that they have that right to vote and anyone that's in line, you know, at 7 now would have till 8 o'clock or 8.30. And then um, I, I'm going to ask you one more question. I know you you have to get you have to get going, but I want to remind folks who are watching uh, to submit questions on social media because we are going to have a segment upcoming where they can where we will get as many of those questions asked as possible, and it's helpful if we have them ready to go rather than waiting to that point. Um, you mentioned uh, the absentee ballots and the idea that they are uh, not tabulated until election night, but explain the difference between process and tabulation. And then why is that the case? Like, why don't we just count them now? So. Well, it's uh, absentee. It's right now what we have going on, people don't understand, we call it early voting, but it's actually absentee voting in person. And then we have absentee ballot, uh, absentee voting by mail. And so that's the really, but it's all that same process. But in both processes, like with the scanner here, it is actually scanning, but not tabulating. Then after 7 p.m., you can press the button and all of a sudden it's a tabulation button. And so that same procedure is being used for the absentee by mail process. In other words, you can scan that just like we are scanning these and they just sit there. But then it was until after the polls closed that we press that button. Now let's tabulate all those absentee mail ballots. And that only takes a second to actually press that tabulation. It's just adding up numbers. It's really the, for the absentee ballot by mail. It's separating those envelopes, laying the ballots flat, getting them ready, and then running them through the scanner. That's where the real time is. And, and why is it that you can't tabulate them till election night? Is that a state uh, law? What's that, the thinking behind that? Well, because it could influence the election. So we really want to make sure that everyone has the right. It's a secret vote. 
up until that 7 p.m. And as soon as we close the polls, we get those results. We want to push those out to everyone that's going to be calling us. Where are the, where are the results? Where are they uh, on the Secretary of State's website? And so we want to make sure we get those, push those out, but not until polls close. That's really important. Uh, Secretary Raffensperger, I hope you're going to indulge us for a moment. We have a lot of questions uh, on social media for you. So before you go, we, were, we have uh, Leroy Chapman, um, our deputy managing editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who's going to read a couple of those. And uh, we'll just ask you to, to hang with us for as long as you can, as long as you can to try to get some of these uh, folks, uh, uh, the questions they have answered. So thank you. Leroy, go ahead. Hi, Secretary Raffensperger. Uh, we have lots of people wanting to know about the QR code. Essentially, the questions are along these lines. How can I be confident that the QR code actually reflects my vote? Because the QR code is really a, a program, an algorithm that puts the, takes all of the the choices that you've made and puts it in a, a safe, secure QR code. And that's all been certified by not just us, but also by the United States Election Assistant Commission. It also makes it for a much faster read. Human readable actually right now with the present technology actually has more errors. Now, many of the election companies that make equipment are working on that, but right now it was not available for us when we made our purchase. And that's something we'll take a look at, as I said, but it is you know secure, but voters need to understand that your ballot, when we do the audit, when we see this race is like a 50.5, a 49.5, we are actually not going to go ahead and do an audit of the QR codes. I can't read those either. We're gonna do an audit of the human readable type there. Who wanted Bob? Who wanted Mary? Who voted for Linda? Who voted for Joe? It's really that kind of the race that we're talking about. Okay, thank you. Uh, we have several other questions too that are about uh, balloting. So one uh, is along the, this line. Uh, they checked, someone checked ballot track and uh, they, their ballot was received um, around uh, October 10th. Uh, they are, they are not, the request for ballot. They're now looking in the mail for it. It's been 12 days. They've not seen it. So they want to know what should they do if they want to vote in person, if they don't see their ballot in the next day or so. They don't see it uh, and they start getting nervous. Then, uh, then they go ahead and vote in person. And when you show up, you can just, it, it helps, but they will check to see if you have requested an absentee ballot and you'll be on the list. And that shows up when you do check in, but they'll take you off the absentee ballot mail list and then you'll vote absentee in person. And so that's something that's available to everyone. I would just say right now, you might wanna wait till, till Monday, but if something doesn't happen by then, then you might want to them vote in person just to be, to be safe and sure. I know that your ballot will show up, but then you'd have to say, well, is it, too late to mail it, and then you'd have to go to a, a drop box. And most of the counties do have drop boxes now. Okay, uh, if you have time for two more, more, I certainly have two more. Uh, I think we have more than that. But uh, let's do let's do two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, our, our next question uh, is is about uh, voter purging lists. So uh, we have a reader who wants to know how many voters have been purged since 2016, and how does that affect this election? Well, we never purge anyone. Uh, and the reason I say that is what we do is we update the voter rolls. What people don't understand is that nationally, 11% of all people move every year. It's 13% in Georgia. We have 7.6 million voters. So multiply 7.6 by 11. Who's got a calculator out there in the audience? That's about 800,000 people that are moving every year. Divide that by 12. So in one month, your list becomes inaccurate by 75,000 people. 
Now, those 75,000 people that have moved in that month, they could either have moved half within the state and maybe half out of the state. We really don't know, but they, we know that they have moved just based on national averages. So in three months, just imagine how your list becomes inaccurate. And that's why you really want to have constant, you know, making sure that you really can update your voter rolls. But also House Bill 316, what I was really excited about, it allowed us to join ERIC. ERIC is Electronic Registration Information Center, where we can share this information. So let's say you live in Georgia and you move to, say, North Carolina or you move to Florida. When you register to vote in Florida, we'll get the information and then we can say, ma'am or sir, we understand that you moved to Florida and you registered there. Could you verify that? And we can then begin the process of objectively taking you off the voter rolls here in Georgia. So it's an objective measure. And as an engineer, I love objectivity as opposed to subjectivity. Okay, and um, I think I saved the most important question for last. So uh, this is from a reader and I will just read her question. I'm a senior citizen and I absentee voted. I checked my status online and it confirmed that my ballot was received and accepted on October 4th. How can I get an I voted sticker? Can one be mailed to me as I'm not able to go to come to the polls due to my age and health? Thank you. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, I didn't expect that question. If you're able, uh, go down to the precinct, tell them, hey, I voted, I voted absentee. Uh, can I get a sticker? Uh, if you want to get some really nifty ones, go down to the Hawks Arena. They made up one special just for the Hawks. It's really, it's really cool what they've done there. But that's a good question. I hadn't had that one for. So I'll get an answer for Mark Nisi here, and we'll get that out <laughs> as a press release. Okay. Okay. All right. That's it from the audience so far. Thank you, sir. Well, well, thank, thank you. you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Secretary. We're going to we're going to finally let you go. We appreciate you giving this amount of time and and answering those questions. Um, and we all certainly hope that election night goes well. Um, we, of course, at the Atlanta Journal Constitution, like early results that are highly accurate, uh, makes uh, deadline uh, are a little bit easier to make. So uh, good luck with everything. And um, I know that Mark will be uh, probably following you around for for uh, the next couple of weeks uh, as he covers it like no one else in the state covers voting. So thank you. Well, we're really grateful for Mark and we're expecting lots of eyeballs on the state of Georgia this year. Thank you. All right. Um, we're going we're to take a little break here and um, come back. But uh, before we do, I'd like to remind you that our journalists press on with stories so that meaningful change can happen. I want to remind you about our recent investigation of senior care facilities. The unprotected investigation led to a change in state regulations. Here is a quick look. You start with one question and before you know it, you are involved in an investigation. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution exposes how Georgia fails to protect senior citizens. We're taking a look at the assisted living and personal care home industry. A very close look at every facility in Georgia. It was shocking. Families had no way of knowing what's really going on. Welcome back. I'm going to turn to our journalists now, and we're going to talk about some of the key and important races in Georgia. Um, and I'm going to uh, throw this first question at Mark Nisi. Um, Mark, why is Georgia so important to the presidential race and to the U.S. Senate races? Well, because we have 
so many voters. We have 16 electoral college votes for president, and we have two U.S. Senate races this year, which is pretty unusual. So Georgia will be pivotal. You know, Georgia is also a swing state now where the margins between Democrats and Republicans are going closer and closer. So Georgia plays a key role in the nation both for president, the Senate races. We have some interesting U.S. House races also in the 6th and 7th congressional districts. Those involved in the 6th district, we have um, Lucy McBath and against Karen Handel. And in the 7th district, we have Republican Rich McCormack against Democrat Carolyn Bordeaux, plus a whole bunch of state house and general assembly races that our other expert reporters will be talking about in a little bit. But big picture, Georgia is important because everything is in play here. We don't know what's going to happen and which way it's going to go, which is why voting matters. That's why everybody is so enthusiastic about participating. And that's why we're seeing such high turnout so far. So you mentioned the Senate races, Mark, um, and there's talk now of runoffs in both of those races. And again, I think the runoff idea can be a little confusing to people who don't follow politics all of the time. So I'm gonna give you a chance in the way, two races, very, a lot of complication here, but sort this out for people. What do they need to understand about what's really going on with those two races? Sure, so we have one regularly scheduled US Senate race and that one is kind of normal where US Senator David Perdue has been in office for six years. He's up for reelection, he is being opposed by John Ossoff, the Democrat. And that is the normal US Senate race. Their special election for US Senate has 21 candidates. And that one was triggered by the resignation of US Senator Johnny Isaacson last year. There the incumbent is US Senator Kelly Leffler. We also have US Representative Doug Collins. And then we have the Democrats, which include, um, we have Matt, Lieberman, we have Ed Tarver, and the leading Democratic candidate, Raphael Warnock, the Reverend at Ebenezer Baptist Church. So 21 candidates at all. There's no primary in a special election. That's why you have so many candidates. And that's why we have two elections on the same day. And the result will likely be because in Georgia, you need 50% of the vote to actually win office. With that many candidates, the vote gets split up so many different ways that the chances that any one candidate gets above 50% of the vote get slimmer and slimmer. So if no candidate in either US Senate race wins 50% of the vote, and that could happen in the regularly scheduled race too because of a libertarian candidate, sure to get some votes as well. If nobody gets over that 50% threshold, then voters have to go back to the polls again on January 5th for runoff races. And as I say, the one with 21 candidates, it's a high probability that will head to the runoff. The other one, we'll see. But, you know, we could be sitting here on January 5th with another runoff with control of the U.S. Senate on the line. So as a voter... Uh, January 5th is when I might be going back to vote again in, in potentially both of those Senate races. Um, now, typically in a runoff, we don't have this kind of turnout that we're expecting uh, in the general election, right? So um, what, what kind of turnout will, will happen there, do you think? Do you have any prediction? It's so hard to tell. There's always a drop off and turnout in runoffs. And if you think that we might get to 
some very high number in the general election, let's say we get to 72, 75, even pushing 80% turnout in the general election, that would be amazing. How many of those people come back in the runoff? It's just impossible to predict, especially if the eyes of the country are on Georgia with two Senate races on the ballot in January, all alone, without any other states also voting on that day and potentially having the ability to swing the balance of power in the US Senate between Republicans or Democrats. Uh, I don't know. I can guarantee there will be a lot of interest and there will be a lot of media coverage and TV ads and the flyers and phone calls probably won't stop. But you know, there's a reason campaigns do that and it's because it keeps people engaged and understand that there is an election going on. So I think we will have significant turnout in runoffs if there are runoffs, but certainly not at the levels we're seeing in the main general election. But voters should know there'll be no relief from those television commercials even after the election. I think that's what I hear you saying. Yeah, that's right. I can't imagine how many millions of dollars are going to be flowing into those races. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a chance to unmute and I'm coming your way because uh, as someone who covers the legislature, the legislative races um, are particularly interesting this year and particularly important. Uh, so give us a couple of reasons why that's the case. Yeah, so all 236 seats um, between the House and the Senate are up for election every two years. And um, this year, uh, Democrats are hoping to take control of the House for the first time in 15 years. Republicans have controlled that chamber since 2005. And two years ago, Democrats picked up um, 11, they flipped 11 seats from Republican to Democrat in the chamber. And if they win another 16 this year, they could have control of the House. And if that's the case, that means they'll have more of a say um, next year when the legislature is in charge of redrawing the lines for um, districts. So if Democrats ha don't have much of a say, if they don't have power of any chamber, it's possible that the lines could be drawn in a way that favor Republicans, you know, ensuring that they're able to stay in power until the next census um, when we get, you know, another recount. Um, and so that that is what um, makes this year kind of important with Democrats being in their minds so close uh, to taking control of the House chamber. Well, you say it's possible the Republicans would draw the lines in their favor. I think that's uh, maybe a, another word might be almost for sure. Um, <laughs> how about this, though? There's so many. I mean, you mentioned 236 seats altogether. So it's really hard for uh, an average person to keep track. If you were going to pick a race or two that you think will really be telling in the Georgia House in terms of where control will go, whether it will stay with Republicans or go to the Democrats. Do you have one or two that you'd say, hey, watch these, and this, this will tell you what's going to happen? Well, I would definitely say one that I am watching very closely is the, um, the race for um, uh, Representative Bob Trammell. He is, he's the incumbent. He's currently the House Democratic leader. He you know, leads the party in that chamber. And he is the last white rural Democrat in the state. And Republicans have put a target on his back. Um, a national Republican organization has 
committed a million dollars to flip that seat. And, um, to, you know, every race that he's won, it's been with less than, I want to say, 56% of the vote. Um, last year, it was very close. It was, I have my notes here. It was about, um, I think it was about 51% of the vote. Um, and and that was to a candidate, he, he got that close. He won by that narrow of a margin um, to a candidate that many in the district uh, believe the Republican did not actually live in the district. In the district, his residency was challenged, but um, Secretary of State's office, which was then Brian Kemp two years ago, um, didn't rule in that challenge. So this year there's a Republican who's running, who's been in the community, who um, people know. And, and so it might be a, a tougher challenge for, for Bob Trammell this year. So while um, you know, Democrats are hoping to flip 16 seats, you know, his is one of the Democratic seats that Republicans think that they're able to take away. So keep an eye on that race and it might tell you what's going to happen in the House overall. Um, ben, I'm going to give you a chance to unmute as well. And uh, so you're the guy who covers Fulton County, which often finds itself uh, in the news, let's just say, uh, on the day after an election. Um, it, take us back to the primary and, and explain what the heck happened. Uh, it was a long day, uh, first of all, and Fulton does usually find itself in the news. When you have a tenth of the state's population, a local issue becomes a statewide issue quickly when you have, like you say, one out of every ten Georgians. Um, so what happened was, uh, it's goofy, but perfect storm type of stuff. The absentee system did not work as well as they wanted it to. And that pushed a lot of people out to the polls because they were waiting and waiting to get their ballots mailed to them and didn't happen for various local state reasons. Uh, for a while they were being mailed from Arizona um, and it, uh, it just didn't work that and a major dropout of not only poll workers, but poll locations, because it, I know there's no concept of time anymore, it seems like, but back then we knew a lot less about the virus than we do now. So people were afraid. A lot of polling places are in senior homes. That's obviously not gonna work in the middle of a respiratory pandemic. So they dropped out. They said, we can't do it, we'd be happy to. And also with the many date changes, like high schools, they were okay to do it, but now they're under construction. When do you do construction at a school? During summer. So they weren't available. So 164 locations uh, is what it ended up being. And there were massive lines. Like we saw at Park Tavern, famously 16,000 people registered at that location. That's not gonna work. The goal now uh, is 5,000. So the, basically all of Fulton's 255 locations have less than 5,000 people and a much larger early voting turnout. And they will hope, they hope that that will make for shorter lines. So we're about to go to audience questions, uh, Ben, but I've just got to ask you, um, what's your prognostication for how Fulton County will do this time? Will, will you be busy working all night long and, in, and for many days afterwards uh, based on what happens? I don't know if I can expense a crystal ball. I'm gonna to have to get <laughs> on that. Um, but I think it will be uh, a, a late night, like to what Mark was saying. There's, we may not know these results for a while. It'll be late tracking down things that I've heard. Will there be technical problems? Probably, it's a really hard thing to do. And it's made even harder by the pandemic. 
Um, they, the county has doubled the amount that it budgeted. So now $34 million, um, which accounts for 5% of the general fund. It's a pretty big deal for Georgia's largest county. So um, yeah, I think it'll be a late night because um, there's always keys locked inside churches and people have to run and polls open late. And uh, that's just the way it goes. But yeah, it, it's gonna be a late night. Okay, thanks, Ben. All right, we're, we are gonna go to our uh, questions from, from our audience. And um, Leroy Chapman will read those aloud and I, I would suspect assign them to uh, one of the three of you to answer. So um, take it away there, Leroy. Hello again. So this question um, is probably for Mark. Uh, we have a reader who wants to know how and where citizens can receive polling location changes, demographics of poll workers, and openings for poll workers via the counties. Well, the best place to find your voting location is on the My Voter page at www.mvp.sos.ga.gov. That's www.mvp sos.ga.gov and that's where you can type in your name birth date and county and you can see sample ballots you can see your registration information and you can see your polling places so that has the information that you need to know your polling places in fulton county which has added 91 polling places since the primary there are going to be a lot of people who are assigned to different polling places than they were in the past and that does have the potential to cause confusion from voters so fulton county has done some mailings they've sent new precinct cards to voters and they've also sent notifications to each head of household letting them know of their new voting locations. And I'm certain that some voters will show up at the wrong location, but it is important that voters try to go to their correct polling place. If you're not in your correct polling place, you might have to either go to your correct polling place on election day or vote a provisional ballot. And a provisional ballot might not have all of your local races, but you can still vote it and it would the races that you're eligible for would be counted. But as a voter, you can be prepared by going online and checking your own personal voter registration information. As for demographics of poll workers, that information is not available anywhere that I'm aware of, especially with so many new poll workers this election and so many that are coming online every day. You know, poll workers are a a lot of them are new. Some of them are going through training. Some of them might drop out. And so there are poll workers held in reserve in each county to fill in when other poll workers drop out. So it's really hard to know um, who exactly your poll worker will be. What counties are doing is trying to prepare to make sure they have enough poll workers to staff every polling location. And by most reports, most counties seem to be doing pretty well. I was listening to a call with Fulton County this morning, and I think, as I recall, they have um, a few hundred poll workers in reserve just in case they need them. Okay, excellent. Uh, we have another question. And Mark, uh, this is for you. Uh, and also for Ben, and I'll explain why. So here's the question. The question is that it seems like most of the long lines are in less affluent areas. And it seems like lines that are in uh, affluent areas seem to go by a whole lot more smoothly. So uh, Mark, I know you have a statewide view of this. And, and Ben, you cover Fulton County and Fulton County has wealth, uh, certainly, and it has uh, its share of poverty as well. So there's a pretty stark difference within the county. 
So again, the question is about uh, the perception that the longest lines are in the less affluent areas and in the more affluent areas, uh, elections are running swimmingly. Well, what we saw in the primary is that was generally true in many areas in Metro Atlanta. Uh, we at the AJC, we did an analysis. We looked at where the longest lines were and mapped them. And you could see um, that it was in, uh, you know, especially in South Fulton County or South Cobb County or, you know, um, Gwinnett and DeKalb are a little bit more spread out um, in terms of their demographics. But certainly you did see something of a pattern there. And why that was, um, I think the most likely cause in many areas is you have too few polling places and too many voters assigned to them, which leads to long lines. As Georgia's population has grown in recent years, and there was a recent article about this produced by ProPublica and Georgia Public Broadcasting, it showed that Georgia's population has grown tremendously, but its number of polling places has not. In fact, its number of polling places has actually shrunk since 2012. The AJC found in a reporting a couple of years ago that between 2012 and 2018, 214 polling places closed. So that is what causes the problem, population growth combined with not enough polling places. I do have hope for Fulton County in November because it has added so many more polling places for the election day. And maybe Ben can talk about that a little bit more. Any of my Fulton County folks are listening, uh, let that be noted that the AJC has faith for Fulton County. Um, the, uh, it's easier, it all boils down to, it's easier to do things when you have resources. Um, if you're retired, you have more time uh, to go. And also, we, we don't think about the trickle down effects, no pun intended, of, of a lot of the virus. But I mean, I have Mayor Bodie down in Palmetto, who he said they haven't gotten a MARTA bus in months because the bus route changes because of the pandemic. So that makes it harder for folks to get to the polls. So there's, it's a lot of change, but if you have your own car and you have plenty of time because you've worked hard and you're retired, um, it's easy for you to get places and, and to do things. So for, for folks who you know, would have liked to go, but the hours didn't work for them and they only have so many hours on the weekend to go early voting, it's just tougher. Okay. And um, I, I, maybe this is the last question, um, but we do have another one that's pretty specific. Uh, and it's a little legal, so it might be, Mark, you may know this. Um, and so this is about the Shelby v. Holder ruling. And that, uh, of course, was about voting rights. And the question is, uh, why were there so many polling places and consolidations or closings throughout Georgia? So this question is speaking specifically to, uh, in many places, in some places at least, having fewer uh, places to cast a vote. So, Mark, uh, can you talk about that? Absolutely. So this was an important U.S. Supreme Court decision in 2013. It's called the Shelby v. Holder case. And basically what the Supreme Court did, and this is simplifying it a bit, but they stopped using the requirement that Georgia and other states with a history of voting discrimination, they stopped requiring those states to get approval from the U.S. Department of Justice before making election changes. And the result was is that a lot of the decisions that are made about elections no longer had to be cleared with the federal government. That meant that states and counties can make their own choices about laws such as photo ID 
or voter registration cancellations, or as is relevant to this question, polling place closures. So freed from federal oversight, a lot of county governments did decide to consolidate or close polling places. It was just a local decision. Some cases, they I think a lot of cases, you had county governments that said, we don't wanna spend the money it takes to keep so many polling places open. It came down to a financial decision. And in other, case, in other counties, uh, you know, it's always a local decision. But the bottom line is that without federal oversight, there was this great release, this ability for counties to be able to do what they want to do with polling locations and poll closures. And so without that level of supervision, we did have a lot more polls closed. I believe it was somewhere 8 to 10 percent, maybe somewhere in that range of precincts that were closed from 2012 to 2018, and that coincides with the weakening of the Voting Rights Act as a result of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision. Okay, thank you. Um, I think maybe we've got time looking at the clock for one more, and um, this one would actually be for Maya. And Maya, this is a bit of a follow-up. Uh, you mentioned uh, about the Georgia State House and you, your example of a race to watch uh, included uh, the Republicans sort of going after who they thought was a vulnerable Democrat. Uh, so the question is this, uh, there are many Democrats who expect a blue wave of sorts. So are there some vulnerable, vulnerable Republicans who are being targeted and who are they? Um, I think that there are um, several, a handful to a set to a handful to several Republicans in some of the Metro Atlanta district who um while they may not necessarily have a target the way that speaker, not speaker, um, uh, leader Trammell has um, on his back, uh, they won in very close races two years ago and in districts where demographics are changing. Um, and obviously demographics don't always mean um, that, you know, having more people of color in a district doesn't necessarily mean that um, they're going to vote one way or the other, but it does play a part. And so some of the, some of the, ones that I've been keeping an eye on are um, Representative Chuck F. Stration in Gwinnett County, who was the author of the hate crimes legislation. He's a Republican. Um, I wrote a story a few weeks ago or months, like Ben said, what is time, um, a while back about um, you know Republicans in these Metro Atlanta districts who had close races, who are um, pursuing legislation that maybe previously was introduced by Democrats or could be considered more uh, liberal stances or moderate stances. Um, and so uh, Chuck Estration is definitely an example of that. Um, he's also, I wrote a story yesterday about um, his uh, work to, you know, if, if he says if he's reelected, he plans to introduce legislation that would uh, repeal citizens arrest, which became um, a big uh, topic after the killing of Ahmaud Arbery in, in Brunswick. Um, another race I'm keeping an eye on in the Senate is Senator John Albers. Um, he uh, won with about 52% of the vote two years ago. He is in Alpharetta and he, or Sandy Springs area, Roswell. And he, um, he you know, it was a very close race and, and he seems to have a formidable opponent um, in, in the Democratic uh, candidate there, Sarah Beeson. Um, and then one more that um, I've been keeping an eye on is a rematch of two years ago um, 
which isn't a Republican, but it, it was very close. Uh, Betty Price, uh, a Republican incumbent, lost by 150 votes to the Democrat, um, Mary Robichaux. And she is trying to get her seat back. So that's another one that I'm that I'm closely keeping an eye on. But there are several Republican seats in Metro Atlanta that won by very narrow margins two years ago that Democrats think that they can flip. Okay. Well, thank you, Maya. And uh, I think our audience has spoken. So back to you, Kevin Riley. Okay, I appreciate that, Leroy, and we appreciate all of your questions. And I, I want to thank Mark, uh, Maya, and Ben uh, for being here tonight. Um, I get to, in my job, get to talk to really smart people like like these three all the time. And so we're glad that you were able to spend some time with them and with us as uh, we look forward to the, this election. Uh, I, I remind you that we offered this uh, event today as a public service, and we owe a special thanks to our subscribers. Because of your support, we were able to make the subscriber uh, benefit open to everyone in our community. Our reporting and our local journalism exists because of subscriber support. If you're not a subscriber, I hope you'll join us. Go to AJC.com slash worth knowing and sign up today. Thank you. And continue to follow our reporting in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com. Have a good night. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.